I guess I better get on here. I wanted to uh, continue on in some uh, eschatology stuff, but I uh, had a f- I had something that challenged me, something I listened to that challenged my thoughts, and I was like, well, I'm going to slow down a little bit, but I am going to give you a good message, I believe. I believe the Lord has given me this for you. Um, we're going to revisit a topic that I feel like is really important to me, and it's integrity. It's integrity, and, I, and, and something I want you to think about is this. As we draw near to what could be the end times, as we talk about the possibility that this could be the final days, and as, as it could have been a long time ago, but we think about that, I want you to think about, you know, so many minds are getting wrapped around what's going to happen, when are the events going to happen, how are they going to happen, and all of that. And I don't think it's a bad thing to have some idea and feel to it. But really, the Bible tells us he's coming back for a holy church without spot or wrinkle. Do you feel like you're a holy church without spot or wrinkle? When you think of yourself, do you really feel like you're ready for the Lord's coming? And really when it comes to it, I think we really get down to the piece of it is, I need to get more fervently in love with Jesus. My love life for Jesus can scale even higher. How many of you love Jesus to the peak already? Right? We can get closer to the Lord. And so I think as we bring this up, I think this fits in. Really, it fits into the end times. Because if if we're not careful, what's happening in our day is people are being readjusted to like, okay, so every prophet, listen to me, every prophet that can be known to man is now speaking. So-called prophets. Anybody who can speak a word is going to be speaking a word. Everybody knows what's going to happen. They know who's in the next election. That we know, we know a lady who's personally prophesied five times of Jesus' actual coming, and she has a following still. I don't get it. But when I think about that, and, and then you listen to her talk, and you listen to the things she says, and she's diving in, trying to use different verses and different parts of the Bible to justify her misconception behind all of that. And I thought, if these people would just listen to Jesus, if they would just follow the Lord, not only would they not be deceived or duped by false teaching, but they'd be ready, whatever the teaching is. They'd be ready. So hopefully we're getting ready this morning as we just take some time to dive into integrity is necessary. Integrity is necessary. Let's look in uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. I've, for the most part, put up the verses for you. Um, if you want me to repeat something, do raise your hand. I know some of you are out there taking notes, and I appreciate that. What you do with those, I have no idea. But I can only imagine go home and regurgitate those notes over and over again and see what the Lord leads to that. I don't know. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Galatians chapter 5. I make it so convenient to have it there right up there on the overhead, but that is by no means my desire that people should not have their Bibles with them or we're bringing them with, uh, with us to, uh, to church. Uh, flipping through those pages. Let's see. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. So, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. 
Now, you noticed I never said the word integrity in there. But one of those words, actually, if you look it up in some of the uh, biblical usage for that word, in the Strong's um, G5543, is the word gentleness. And that word can also be used in the uh, framework of integrity. So gentleness, most of us would not think of gentleness and integrity together, but take, take some time to think about that gentleness should proceed from a heart of integrity. Um, but you could also put, instead of the fruit of the Spirit being gentleness, you could also put in place there um, integrity. Integrity. Um, <clears throat> this speaks of moral excellence in character or demeanor. Uh, gentleness, goodness, and kindness. So it still includes all these other fruits within it. Um, we see these verses that play this out is Romans chapter 3, verse 12, Psalm 13, 3, and Psalm 14, 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 12, Psalm 13, verse 3. And then Psalm 14, 3. Psalm 14, 3. Thank you, Jesus. Let me pray. Father, thank you for our day. Lord, thank you, Jesus, that the richness of the character of God and the power of your love, Lord, is revealed right here in this room. Right here in this place, Lord, we see the power of the love of Jesus at work. And God, I just want to thank you today, Lord, whatever the divine favor is for us. Jesus, whatever we, you would do in your will, your exceeding great will for our lives, we want to just begin to invite you. To invite you in, whether it's a new way into heart or to take truths that we've already heard, endorsed into our life, and rekindle our heart's fire for them. Jesus, we thank You that it is by the power of Your presence and the authority that is in Jesus Christ, the, the work of the Holy Spirit to draw us closer to You. And in doing that, Lord, it reshapes our life, reshapes our character, reshapes our thinking. And Lord, just brings us into oneness into Jesus. So Father, I pray, if anything, would you take these words? Would you take what's being said today? And Lord, animate me. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give me words beyond my notes. Lord, beyond anything that I have already pre-thought of. And I pray, Lord, that you would pour it out. Jesus, we want not just information today. Lord, we want to process what the Lord is speaking to us. We want to grasp what the Holy Spirit is saying. And Father, as we do, Lord, we know that there is a supernatural element to it that cannot be replaced. It cannot be taken away. And we need that supernatural love of Jesus at work. The power of the Holy Spirit right now, Jesus. And we give You praise as You speak to our lives and deal with the very central issues of our hearts so that You can be glorified. In Jesus' name, Amen. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Integrity. This is my definition that I give. I, you've probably heard it before, but I'm going to give it to you again. Integrity is what causes us to voluntarily hold ourselves 
It's up there on the screen so you can read it there as I do. Hold ourselves to a contract or covenant. It gives us the courage to make a vow or a promise without the fear of compromising our part. It is the part of us that is obligated upon the intrinsic virtues of our moral agency and will remain consistent, strong, committed, and unwavering without the use of force or compulsion. True integrity has the strength to resist all opposition, so much so that it will keep us faithful upon the pain of death. Upon the pain of death. So this is the thing we hear over and over again, is that nobody's perfect, we all fail. And there's truth to that. But the problem is that sometimes we endorse failure more than we do success in the life that we live. And integrity is one of those words that we have to stand and face and look face-to-face with when we begin to try to answer for the complications of the human element that we have in the Christian life. And we can spend all of our life making excuses for things that we fail at because we lack the integrity to be faithful. Or at times, the reality is, is that we're doing everything we can to be faithful and the human element has gotten in there. But probably more times than not, you find that the human element is just trying to create a justification for having a lack of integrity. A lack of integrity. Throughout my church life and my Christian life, I have found more and more just kind of this struggle that we have and, and I've had it myself, is I find those weaknesses and the struggles within me, and, and I, I, I want to be comforted. I want to have some kind of a hope. I don't want to think that, you know, just because I failed at something, that I'm, I, uh, I, I have to give up. But at the same time, I don't want to keep on going into the path of failure or missing the mark or whatever you would say. I want to be able to do this rightly. And one of the things that I realize is that the Holy Spirit has had, at different times, challenged me in the area of integrity. I remember one time we were, we were on a 10-day fast. Some of you remember that fast. Some of you were a part of it. And I remember during that fast, I remember one of the things I struggled with was, I remember my three-day fasts. And I remember during those three-day fasts thinking to myself, man, I can't, I don't have, I'm so weak, I'm so fatigued, I can't imagine going much more beyond that. And I've had longer fasts to try and go, but 10 day was my first. And I had already decided that I wasn't going to make it the 10 days. And the reason was, is because what I knew what it was like having a three day or a five day fast. And I knew how hard those were and how difficult they were for me. But what I had, and I remembered my family, I was mad at them because they would get out the food and they'd leave out the food and I would smell the food and I kept thinking, this is a problem and I don't like it and they're not seeing what kind of a struggle this was. And I found myself kind of in the middle in that way. And I remember, this is the challenge that the Lord spoke, the Lord spoke to my heart and He said this. He said, do you know why it is so hard for you? Maybe. <laughs> Why is this so hard for you? And this is the thing, I, once the Lord spoke it to me, it registered as this has been true the whole time. I just didn't pay attention to it. And it was this. It's because you haven't been committed to this fast from the beginning. Once the Lord revealed that to me, it's like it triggered. 
the truth of it hit me. And it was like, that's true, Lord. That is so true. I've been struggling because I haven't really placed myself under this as a fast I was committed to. I don't even know why. I just know I wasn't. And then, all of a sudden, integrity hit me. Now, bring out the food. And this is, it was funny, but I did this to them. I said, go ahead, leave it out. I would even get food out. I'd open the jars and I'd smell. And I was like, there's no sin in smelling this. And what I realized is I was free because I was letting the Lord deal with what the, the element inside of me that was really at the struggle of being committed. And I loved when the Lord did that to me. And so I could have gone through the whole fast, and I probably would have, missing the mark. And I won't say that even the first start of that fast was, if, if anything, this is the thing that the Lord is revealing that gets into the Christian life. Are you committed and faithful to Jesus? So integrity works in an ungodly world. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 14. I want you to go to Genesis chapter 14 because we're going to spend the rest of our time there and then pull in some other verses to go into it. But Genesis chapter 14. If you'll remember Genesis chapter 14, this is Abraham um, going to fight the war for Sodom, uh, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah. On the side of the king of Sodom were five kings. They were going in opposition and going to have a battle with four kings. And if you want to, you can go ahead and read all of those names. But that's the thing you need to realize here is, is that he is going to war. And the reason he is, is because he found out that Lot was taken captive. And Lot was his brother-in-law. And he was going to do what it took to bring his brother-in-law back. And interestingly, that it tells us, I think, that Abraham had about 300 trained men that he sent out to battle. Now, I get the feeling when I read this that Abraham had far less in his army than Sodom and Gomorrah and all the other three kings with them had in theirs. And yet five kings couldn't defeat it, and Abraham goes with 300. That's the hand of God at work. But Abraham wouldn't have done that unless he genuinely trusted God with his life and that he had a sense this is the direction that God wanted him to go. We're going to get into it here in a minute, but the nature of genuineness is so built into integrity. The nature of genuineness. I can be genuine. It's so built into integrity that God is not tempting us to sin by leaving us in a sinful world. See, we would have every reason to say we have conflict with why would God put me in a world that gives so much temptation, so much calling to sin, so much begging temptation to draw every one of us into worldliness and sin unless He had left us with something else that gave us the power against it. And He gave us Jesus Christ, but with Christ, He built into that relationship with Jesus, this genuineness that's built into the integrity. And you'll see this in the life of Abraham. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, Isaac, I think you can put that up there. Or Caleb. 
Caleb looks just as mature as his older brother Isaac. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. This is a challenge scripture in our lives. This is a very, very important verse. Is it talking about sinless perfection? No. But it is saying that you can live a whole lot more perfect than you presently do. You can do a whole lot better than you ever probably imagined. So integrity embraces bravery. If you'll notice, this whole story wraps around this, this evil that's of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a wicked community, and yet Abraham gets involved in their battle but not in defense to their impurity and the wickedness of their lives, but in the preservation of his brother-in-law that's a part of the kingdom of God. And how it happens, and if you read prior, the chapter before it, you, what you'll read is, is that there was this division between Abraham and Lot, or Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen, because there was not enough land to support all of their animals. And so Abraham said, let us... Let us be separated. And so they separated and it said, Lot looked to the well-watered plains of the Jordan, which was right in the backside of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he looked at it, this is great land for my animals. Terrible for spiritual life, but great for the outward life, so to speak. And Abraham said, you go first and then I'll go the next direction. And they separated. And it was right after that, if you'll pay attention to the verses in the Bible, it was, Right after that, that God said, after the separation, Abraham, I have given you, look, north, south, east, and west. I give it all to you as an inheritance. So why did Abraham separate from Lot to begin with? He separated from him because he knew as long as there was contention between his herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen, that this would be a separation in the division in his relationship with God. And he's not going to tolerate that kind of division in his relationship with God. There are people who need to separate from certain people or certain things in their life because they're intimately involved with Jesus Christ. I intimately love the Lord with all my heart, and this doesn't fit that relationship. And it wasn't because, obviously, that uh, Abraham had a hardness of heart toward Lot. Now we see it unfold. So in the midst of this, his integrity, he begins to embrace this bravery. I want you to look in four, chapter 14 of Genesis, verse 14. Chapter 14, verse 14. Now when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went and pursued as far as Dan. So in the midst of this, it's not bravery for bravery's sake. It's bravery for the Lord's sake. Integrity is always wrapped around Jesus as a primary end. It's not just in itself a thing. Like we see people do good things for selfish reasons. That's not integrity. 
when the end is about me and about what I want and about my purpose, and that's really the ultimate end, that's not integrity, that's selfishness. Bravery is not fearlessness in the face of danger, even though this is part of what happened. It is principle over self-preservation. There's a principle at work that when we begin to realize, so, so for instance, the idea is we go into the world and we're going to deal with the sin. So we were part of our meeting that we had when we went to uh, our inter intermission. We were talking about the transgender issues. And one of the things that I recognize is the church is we struggle to touch people who are defiled in certain ways, in sin, or at least we consider to be, for sure. Why? Because we don't want it to infect our families. We don't want it to get into our children. We don't want, it, we don't want them beginning to embrace this kind of ideology and start changing the way that they live. Da-da-da-da-da-da. So we're putting a hand against it. But I, I was saying to one of the women there, it reminds me of as if a surgeon needed to do surgery, but he didn't want to get his hands bloody. And so sometimes I wonder if the church doesn't want to get his hands bloody. These are the, the, these are the ones that the ideas of their life are so opposed to God. But don't just go to transgender. Think about where sin remains. Sin is in existence. Sin is in the church. Sin is wherever it is. That same principle is at work. It may be just less obvious. So when you deal with the sin principle within people's lives, you have to get your hands bloody. Or you have to protect yourself and guard yourself. I don't know about you, but I see Jesus getting His hands bloody. So the principle over self-preservation. And this is the thing. If one soul finds their way truly to Christ and gets genuinely born again, you have done more for your family than by just stepping out and trying to protect them. Right? Trying to protect them from, oh, we don't want this getting in. We don't want it filtering in. What I want to see is this. I don't want to see outward changes that don't have the inward revelation of Jesus. But when Christ gets in, He does the work. And that's a powerful work to behold. For this reason, real Christians do not borrow weakness as an excuse for misbehavior. If it's principle over self-preservation, we don't need to borrow weakness as an excuse for misbehavior. Can I say that one more time? If we are living principle over self-preservation, then I don't need to tell you, well, it's because I'm weak. That's why I fall. It's true, but it's not the element that I need to be focusing on. I need to be focusing on, despite that's true, there's a, res there's a thing about walking with Jesus, the principles that the Holy Spirit is laying down in my heart that give me power to be elevated above that weakness. So I don't have to be misbehaving. God is showing us that honorable commitment does come with a cost. Think about this. Abraham didn't know he was going to win the battle, but he was willing to face the battle. So I want you to look in Luke chapter 14, verse 33, or at least up at the screen, if you would. Luke chapter 14, verse 33. Let me turn there. 
Praise you, Jesus. Luke chapter 14. Verse 33. Jesus says here, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. God is showing us that an honorable commitment does come with a cost. An honorable commitment does come with a cost. Now, Jesus isn't focusing on the element here of... Uh, let me look here again one more time. Forsaking all. Jesus isn't focusing on that element. The, the real element is the deeper appreciation that you have for Him, the less this feels like it's costly. The less it feels like it's driven by this demand to lose my life. Losing my life becomes a greater pleasure for whom I'm losing it for. <clears throat> Some people are more worried about their physical conditions than their spiritual conditions. I would say this is what Jesus is dealing with. You forsake your life and follow me. In our flaws, we are designed in such a way to serve his purpose with an assurance of success when kept by His power. With our flaws. So, I see my flaws, and I know I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I get a bigger view of my flaws, how many of you have flaws out there? How many of you are getting close enough to getting close to Jesus that you have no flaws? Is there anybody with no flaws in here this morning? How come nobody's raising their hands? I thought there was no flaws here in this place. I was like, <laughs> so when we see those flaws, but why did those flaws not deter you from following Jesus? Because I know at times I've looked at my flaws and thought, no, I can't do this, Lord. I got to throw in the towel. I got to give up. I'm not going to be good enough to do this. But this is the beauty of the flaws is Jesus is with that flaws made a design so that we can serve him. And what is it? What has He given us so that we can serve Him? I love the way Leonard Ravenhill said it. He said, you are human with the Holy Ghost. You are human with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but is the Holy Spirit present in this room right now? Before we got here, was the Holy Spirit with you in your house? The Holy Spirit... I'm getting a lot of yeses. Amen for that. Right? So the Holy Spirit is constantly in our lives. We get an opportunity to interact with the Holy Ghost 24-7. We get the power of God's Spirit. Not just the power from God's Spirit. We have the power of the Spirit of God right here with us at every moment. That when you need, when you need it, you have it available. When you need Him, you have Him available. I love the verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So my flaws have to face that verse. I'm struggling. I'm physically not capable of doing things. 
If the Lord leaves you in that physical incapability, it's because He didn't design for you to go beyond it. But He did decide that what physical capability you do have, use that. It's powerful that in the story of the five, the was it the five thousand that were there um, and they were being fed by the few fishes and loaves, and it was that Jesus took a few fishes and a few loaves to demonstrate to humanity, to demonstrate to the flaws of humanity that you don't need money. Man, I was listening to the other day, and I I don't listen to it because I don't like it, but I was listening the other day of prosperity preaching. Am I a prosperity preacher? I believe in the right kind of prosperity, but I am not going to tell you to sow your seed of $300 of faith so you can get your... $300 or $600 blessing spiritually from God. I will never preach that behind this pulpit because I don't believe in that. Now, I do believe that Jesus has us give, but for an entirely different purpose. Entirely different. But as I listen to that, I realize I don't need that. I just need the reality of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So He's given me these flaws and within the flawed nature, limited nature. Do you know as a pastor, one of my greatest struggles in life has been this. I realize I use so much of my time and it goes away every week like this. How many of you, your time just flies by so fast? And I feel like, well, I ministered to so-and-so. I met with six guys this week. I had uh, eight guys the other week. I spent time in prayer. I got to have all kinds of ministry service. And I didn't even touch the surface of the people that I feel like I have heart for. Essentially, what it feels like is this. It feels like that when you really get involved in the heart of ministry, You feel like you can do everything in your strength, humanly possible, in the limitations, even with the power of God, and still not even come close. And it feels like you failed. If you look at this the wrong way. Now, I could could be missing it, and maybe the Holy Spirit wants me to minister to so-and-so, and I'm over here doing this. But regardless, the Lord has kept me within that. But what the power of this is, is that he's given his power for me to minister. Now, sometimes I want to see fruitfulness in different ways more faster than I do. How many of you feel like that? I want to see more fruitfulness behind. But the Lord has whatever kept that back, but faithfulness. Listen to me, please, as I say this. It's not fruitfulness, it's faithfulness. God builds the fruit. Sometimes you see a miraculous delivery. You see an immediate healing. And other times you see something that takes a little bit longer. But you trust the Lord. And you watch God in His time bring the fruitfulness to it. But yours is considered continued faithfulness. Integrity stands against all odds. I want you to look at verses 8 and 9 in Genesis chapter 14. So go to Genesis chapter 14. Or look up on the screen there. Genesis 
Genesis chapter 14. So again, 8 and 9. We're going to read this. And the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma and the king of Zeboim and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Siddim and against Chedor, I can't even say the name, king of Elam, title king of nations, Emraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Eleazar, four kings against five. So that's what I was saying before. Integrity stands against all odds. The pursuit of the noble outweighs the risks it takes to achieve it. <clears throat> when I think of this, what I see is Abraham standing against all odds, not because Abraham is bold with courage, but because Abraham is faithful to God. You know, my wife was just sharing earlier about this important, as the Lord is putting it in her heart. And the call of obedience comes at the feeling that I'm... I'm I'm not necessarily feeling comfortable with it. <clears throat> against all odds. What if I'm doing this against all odds? So the, the purpose in mind is, and I don't want to preach the kind of gospel idea that when you come against all odds because you dis, it's the situation you set yourself up in that it's always going to turn out right. The one that I'm talking about is when God is giving you direction. When the Holy Spirit has solidified something in your life and you know it's from the Lord, when it's against all odds, go for it. Do it. Surrender to the Lord in it. And so the pursuit of this noble, which is God's purpose in it, outweighs the risks it takes to achieve it. The boldness to face our fears comes from our real confidence in the transcendency of God. The boldness to face our fears comes with our real confidence in the transcendency of God. So I don't know, but, but for me, when I read the Bible, the Bible itself doesn't give me the full sense of the transcendency of God. It's the revelation that the Holy Spirit gives me, maybe through reading a verse in the Bible, but it is in that revelation of God that I begin to understand the transcendency of His nature. Sometimes when it's when we pray and we're asking the Lord to do something that would be a miracle, I think the transcendency of God happened for John this week. Because as I was thinking about it, I was, I was over, and it's always interesting, whenever I take a trip, two things happen. I get sick and, and bad things happen. I'm like, why is this happening while I'm gone? And I realized this. One, James doesn't have to be present in order for God to work. Amen for that? The other thing I realized was this. As I started getting more information about it, what had taken place, I was touched because I realized that we had two of the members of our church, two other good and close friends that were already there in his house, so when this happened, there was people on site already ready to be a part of it. As I listened to him share, being there, and Susie's the one that's taking care of him and then praying over him, and the feeling was going away before he was even being transported, 
I'm, I'm amazed at the transcendency of God. How he can work in the finest details of life. Because here's the question in my mind. Even Julie had said this earlier. Was that they were planning on being there a different day. But the way it all worked out was this is the day that it worked out. I think that's the way God works. Our reasoning says, well, I need to do it for this. And we think we're the ones running the show. And God is working behind the scenes of life providentially to set up the circumstances so you're there at the moment. What we're just not realizing is, is probably every minute of our life is under the providence of God without our realizing it. And it's those times when serious things happen that our eyes are revealed. It's revealed to our understanding that, wow, God is transcending my nature. I love this verse in Ruth. It talks about, it says, it was her half to light upon the field belonging to Boaz. She's running off with Naomi her mother-in-law, into this despondency of life as if everything just went to the... Everything that she'd hoped for has just disappeared, but she's following in her into the bitterness of life, not knowing that the whole time that she's leaving her country and her people and following Naomi into what looks like this despair of life is really God's set-up plan for her to meet her kinsman redeemer and be married to. The transcendency of God. So when I pray, when you pray, I want you to think about that. When you're praying for somebody who's unsaved, realize the transcendency of the power of God is there with you while you're praying. That Abraham believed against hope and he was fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And that's you. That's me today. That God is able today. We see a church that needs to be having people coming into this place. This is not the pastor. This is the church calling out on the Lord. God, you have the transcendency within your nature to draw people without their realizing why they're coming in the first place. I feel for some reason I need to come to church and I don't know why. And I come to church and the pastor preaches the message that is so fitted to my life. I can't tell you how many times the ladies in this church have said, i got to stop wearing makeup. Because every time I do, the tears coming down my face erase it from my face. I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody share with me the sermon that I had preached was so pivotal to what was going on in their life. I haven't told of the congregation the many times that that's happened. But somebody has said, this is what it was. And I was like, wow, the sermon in that moment. I didn't know, God knew, the transcendency of his nature to put through my mouth something that was so needed for their lives. Well, I want to say that that's not a pastoral experience only. That's a Christian phenomenon that Jesus gives to his people as we walk with him in our separate fields of life. Wherever we disperse in this county and scatter after this service, and the Holy Spirit is just moving it like ammunition against the work of the darkness of the spirit of this age in Willowa County. So what is it that God can't do? I love it that Sarah laughs and that laughter becomes the name of her son later on. She laughs. And because how is this possible that God should be able to transcend and make the nature that's typical to women all of a sudden be different for me And at my old age, I'm going to have a baby. 
Yes, that was God's promise, but it sure seemed like that had faded away over time. I'm preaching today. I'm ready to preach. Anybody liking it? Lastly, uh, well, not lastly. We're getting close to. Integrity comes with a plan. Integrity comes with a plan. Genesis chapter 14, verse 15. And he divided his forces against them by night. He and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is in the north of Damascus. What did he do? He went in and he took the 300 that were with him, 318 of his trained servants, and he took them and he divided them into, it looks like, two different parties. It says he divided them, so maybe more, but we're going to assume two in the, for the time being. And then he came at night. So he could have came in the daytime. He could have come as a full force, but he saw the strategic planning that God had put in his spirit this is the best way to do this. So he maximized the little that he had with the plan that God had given him. You know, there's something powerful about being in prayer because God gives the missing elements to what I need to do differently, how this could be different, or how can I do this in the moment because this is against all odds. But because integrity goes through the whole thing, it's going to drive the plan, it's going to drive the the reality that I only have 300 men to do this with and God's going to give us victory in His way. God calls us to exercise all our faculties as He infuses us with His graces. God calls us to use our limited faculties, our human finite faculties, as He infuses us with His graces. How else did Abraham manage this? How else does he handle the difficulty of four kings and the masses of men that he has to battle it out with. And how does he do that unless he has the grace of God with him in the midst of it? Notice this, it's not the plan only. But it's as God tells you, God demonstrates this is how you do this. And you may think, well, like Gideon and his pitcher and his candle in the middle of it, okay, we got 300 men. We've been reduced to this very 10 to 1 odds. Again, another one of those things. And all God's telling us to do is don't come with swords and spears. Don't go with weapons. I'll tell you to do that some other battle, but not this one. This is what I want you to do with it. I want you to break the pitcher and expose the candle. And I want you to yell the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. That doesn't make sense, does it? The transcendency of the nature of God at work calling me to just do a few things in His way, and He's still going to infuse it with His grace. A well-devised plan is a gift of God. I want to read just a couple verses. Proverbs 16.9. So if you're writing those down, Proverbs 16.9. Thank you, Jesus, for energizing me today. You're like, if he can preach that good while he's sick, I can't wait till he's in his deathbed. <laughs> <laughs> Proverbs 16.9 A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I want you to highlight that one. 
I want you to take that home with you to heart. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Praise you, Jesus. And I want to give you one more. I want you to to write down Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. Can can we get a hand for the guy that's in the back putting the... (laughs) I need him to do that. I need him to do that. We love these boys for doing that for me. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. Oh, Lord. Let me give you, my daughter said, hey, uh, mom, she was struggling bringing her Bible to church this morning because she says, dad, go see the scriptures too fast. So I'm trying to slow down for you. Jeremiah 10, verse 23. Some of you have those handy gadgets that get you there in just a few seconds. Shout amen when you get there. Okay, I think I got enough of my audience. Jeremiah 10.23, O Lord, I know the way of a man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Man, I love that. How it is that I end up being where the Lord wants me to be at the time he needs me to be there without my realizing it until the moment is, is, is happened. A well-devised plan is a gift from God. In other words, the plan is to follow him, right? It's not where you go, it's who you follow. Can you, can you help the preacher this morning? It's not where you go, it's who you follow. Yes, Lord. <clears throat> We're going to have a revival here in a minute. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. Let's look at these last few verses here. This is my favorite part of Genesis chapter 14. This is my very favorite part of it. So now, so I hope you've been holding your finger in Genesis chapter 14 the whole time. So this is now the king of Sodom said to Abram. So now we know that Abraham came back, or Abram came back with the people. He came back with the goods and he came back with Lot. He came back very successful in other words. And so the king of Sodom, who had already lost, he was part of the five kings that they had not made it through the battle. And now Abraham goes. Now imagine what kind of an image this gives of God and of Abraham, because Abraham is following the Lord. And and this is a powerful picture to us. The world in its strength has not half what the church has, even in its weakest. We have in Jesus Christ what the world can't have. And God is trying to show, not by riches, not by money, not by prosperity preaching, but by the power of our living faith in Christ and how we walk it out and live a godly life in a godless world to show the world around us what they cannot possess. The power of the morality of a a believer of, of Jesus is amazing. So he says, Now the king of Sodom said, verse 23, to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. So it's just like, give me my people back. You won the war. You take the goods for you. But listen to what Abram says, or Abraham. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord. Oh, I love this. God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. And I will not take, I will take nothing 
from a thread to a sandal strap that I will not take anything that is yours lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Do you see the divine connection? Do you see the integrity that's built into the life of Abraham? The integrity is this. It's a single eye on the Lord. It's not just his behavior. His behavior is like the icing on the cake of his real commitment to God. And his commitment to God just finds its way through and through, interwoven throughout this story, that he says, I look to the one who possesses. In other words, what is all the, the, the stuff that you have, all these possessions that I brought back from the war, what is that compared to what God possesses in heaven? I have greater riches. I have a greater fullness from Him. And I'm not going to in the least bit. Now, this is the power of integrity as I hear it. I am not going to let anything touch or remotely defile what I have in God. Think about your life. Think about where you are in life. Is there anything in your life you're like, well, this gets in and it defiles me. Sometimes it's my temper. Sometimes it's my attitude. Sometimes it's my holier than thou that gets in the way of things. Sometimes it's my carelessness. How little I take time to be with God or to read the Word of God. I don't even understand why. I don't even have a desire for it. But whatever it might be, it might ultimately stem into, I feel like these things just demonstrate how much I need this integrity. We look to the beauty of what happens in Abraham's life as not just a conviction, but as an inspiration. It inspires me that God could take just a simple human being and do these kinds of things. That's why I love the Old Testament. I love it because there's this magnitude of God at work in some very difficult men. <laughs> When the enticement of your desires are the strongest, then your true loyalties will be revealed. Your true loyalties will be revealed. Those that are true to God will remain true to God. You know, and let me say this. Because we have, we, we have struggles in this place, don't we? Do we have struggles? Struggles of belief, struggles of faith, struggles of just doing the right thing at different times. When you come to that place, and I say a statement like this, and when the enticement of your desires are the strongest, then your true loyalties be revealed. And some of you are going to listen to that and you say, that hurt me. That hit me so hard. Because I feel like that's what you're saying, Pastor, is that my loyalties are less than full of integrity because I failed in the attempt to be faithful. Listen to this point. Your loyalty is revealed in what you do from that point forward. Did I take time noticing that to further and distance myself from God for another day, for another week, because I felt guilty, felt, I felt ashamed? Or did I spend my time and immediately run to the Lord? And, and the beauty of that is, is that I hear people at times say some of the most difficult things there is, but it's absolute honesty. It's honesty. I'm sharing with God the things that I'm struggling with in the moment, but what do you do when you're doing like Jonah did 
and he prayed. I love that. You see this thing that God's doing, and all God's really doing in our lives is bringing us correctively back to himself. So no, that shouldn't be a discouragement because you realize that the real part of you is attached to Jesus and it keeps coming back. That's why I love. Sometimes I see a small audience in the church and I love it because it tells me there's a commitment and a faithfulness. Not, I hope not to just come to church. I hope it's... I so love Jesus. Even if the pastor missed it this week, I so love Jesus as I'm here for him and secondarily for the pastor. When he messes up or misses it, I love to pray for him. Man, I love that. I, I got enough critics. I'm sure all the pastors in the world have enough critics, but do they have enough prayer warriors? You want to get a man out of you want to get man back into heaven? You want him to hear from God? Just pray for him. Pray, pray that the Lord will do this. Those that are true to God will remain true to God. That's the end story. Jesus went through the audience. He had 500 that were with him. He said, Well, you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And he said, Many left him. And he says, they weren't with me from the beginning. But then you have some of the difficult ones like Peter, and he's always fouling up, but he doesn't run away. He fouls up, but he doesn't run away. And if he runs away, he doesn't run away for very long. Those that are true to God will remain true to God. Pretense can remain undetected with small temptations, but real character is revealed when trials and tribulation are at their most difficult. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. This is my last verse for you. At least I say that now. You know better because I haven't quit preaching yet. That's the last one I got on my notes. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Okay, I want you to say, love you, Pastor, if uh, you got there. Amen. I'm waiting. I'm still, I got a few mores out there. <laughs> They're like, well, I'm at the screen, so I'm there. <laughs> My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I often wondered in in my life, when I was facing trials, what kept me faithful? What keeps you faithful when you're going through a trial? I hope it's this right here, that we're going through various trials, but we count it all joy. Let patience have our perfect work, that you may be perfectly complete, lacking nothing. Somehow I get the sense that God is as faithful during the hard, hard times, as he was when everything was going great. And I know that he's doing something in the middle of this. And sometimes, and, and let me say, sometimes we come to the crux of God has been doing something in the hard time, and that's all you have in the moment. God's doing something, but I don't know what it is. God's working something, but I don't know why I'm going through this. But there's times you don't have to wait to come to the end to get a little bit of God's information on that oftentimes. Sometimes you carry that burden to the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm willing to be faithful to you through this whole thing. But I would love to hear from you right now. 
I'd love to hear what the Holy Spirit is trying to say so that I can have the confidence in the midst of this. Loyalty is not just endurance. Please hear me on that. Loyalty, integrity, loyalty, is not just that I'm enduring this. It's enduring it for the moment, but it's learning to find Jesus in the middle of it. How come it is, folks? How come it is when we're in the trial, it seems like the trial goes forever, and we didn't get what God wanted for us until we got out of the trial? But yet, when we're not in a trial, we can hear from the Lord every day. You get where I'm going with that? Maybe maybe what happens in the middle of the trial is you get emotionally closed down, mentally you shut down, and you let go of some things when you could just trust God just as well in the middle of the trial, and He can speak to you every day in the trial as well as when everything's going well. Learn to listen to Him through the trial. I love Elijah. And now I'm not, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a quote, but I love Elijah. The fire, he, the Lord was speaking. There was an earthquake, and the voice of the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. There was a fire, but the voice of the Lord wasn't in the fire. There was the great wind, but the voice of the Lord wasn't in that. So then he wraps his head in the mantle, and he listens for the still, small voice of God. Listens for the voice of God. And I think that that's what the people of God need to do. Lord, what are you saying right now? When trial comes, are we going to be able to hear from the Lord? And I think it's really important because paramount, Jesus said, Jesus told us, in this world you shall have tribulation. Right? So it's happened. Are we crushed by it? We shouldn't be because it was something the Lord said would happen. But are we listening to him in the midst of it? This is so hard, Lord. So hard. And what are you trying to say to me? And something beautiful happens, and that is when the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, God gives clarity in the midst of the trial, and you can have relief. God gives clarity in the midst of the trial, you can have relief. Because if we're all about Jesus, can I say this? If we're all about Jesus, all we need is the confidence that we're still with Him in the middle of this whole thing. Right? We just need that. He can finish it. He can do it well. Who would have guessed that Joseph, when he had gone through all that he had gone through, who would have guessed that he was being sold into slavery, he was going to end up in prison, and he was going to end up being a prince in the land of Egypt? Who would have saw all that coming? Do we need to have the end picture in mind to be able to trust God with what's happening in the moment? Not at all. We can trust the Lord in the moment. Okay, I think I preached the sermon. I preached the sermon. I'm going to pray that you respond. I'm going to really pray that we respond. You know, I really feel like this. I feel like the Lord has been, from the moment I started doing ministry here, we didn't really have much for an altar call. And I started creating room for an altar call because I sensed that that was something that God never wanted it to go away. I want to see it continue to happen. The biggest discouragement to an altar call is that nobody moves forward in an altar call. But that doesn't mean we're not going to stop doing it if nobody does, because I believe in the importance of it. But I also want you to hear my heart in this. Because of my experience at the altar, I know God wants to do more. 
I feel like these last few weeks especially that the Holy Spirit is pressing in my heart. You keep that altar open and you give the people, you keep telling them what I'm trying to say and let them know I want them to spend time with me at the altar. I want them to cultivate my presence throughout the end of this service and I want to do more. I feel like God wants to do miracles. I feel like God wants to bring more deliverance. He wants to bring the freedom of the revelation of His Word far greater than anything I just preached. If you will give Him room and opportunity in your life, whether that's coming here up front or your altar is there, but I feel like there's something about coming up front is our way of surrendering to Jesus. Now, if that's not how you feel, I'm not asking you to do it. But I'm also saying this, sometimes your feelings are not in connection with the Lord in the moment. So challenge that. Challenge it, seriously. And just let the Lord in. And this is all I know is, the music, I've watched this happen. The music stops for a minute and people feel like leaving. Is that what the Lord wanted you to do or it just felt uncomfortable? You understand what I'm saying? Did it feel uncomfortable? Well, then we play the music in the background. And it may be, well, I've heard that over and over again. We just leave it as a background sound so that hopefully it helps keep from all other distraction from keeping your mind away from what the Holy Spirit is trying to pull into at the moment. And why is this important? Because this is the one time as a church we get to be together corporately. And God does something corporately that he often doesn't do individually. I don't know why. But I think part of that is to increase in us the love and the value to be together. And as the Holy Spirit is confirming things, some of you need the Lord to confirm things. I need confirmation. And I mean strong confirmation that the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, is giving me deep direction in my life. I need to know what the Lord is speaking to me in the moment. You may not be going through a trial, but you know that the Lord is. And why am I saying this? Because if we don't get something deeper, more from the Lord, as He intends for us, by seeking His face, we may walk out of this place lacking the integrity to move forward and allow account. We need what the Lord's speaking to us. So I'm saying that because I want to just preface the importance of the altar. I'm going to keep emphasizing it, no matter what anybody else does. I'm going to emphasize this. I'm going to spend time at times at this altar because the pastor needs it. Other times, we're going to lay hands on you and anoint you and pray over you, whatever the Lord leads. But I believe miracles are going to happen as we do. We have people we're praying for. Pray, pray, pray for them and expect God to do mighty things because of it. And here's what I believe is this. None of us are entitled to miracles. We don't get to be entitled because of the gospel. But what we do get is the hope until God reveals to us it's our miracle. It's the miracle we've been praying for. It's really important that we do pray for those miracles. Amen? So I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to, we're going to worship the Lord. And the service can last as long as you want to stay here. I'm not asking you to stay put, but I am praying. Just be sensitive to what the Lord's doing in the Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit at work right now. Lord, I trust that you want to heal. Father, I trust that you're wanting to reveal. I trust, Jesus, that you have a supernatural element for us still remaining in our time together here. I don't know what it is. 
Jesus, I don't know what it is, but I trust, God, that you have a supernatural element in this moment. And Father, I am extremely grateful for those here in this congregation that want to love and honor me today. But I pray that that will not be a deterrent from our time here. Jesus, that supernatural element that's to be in our the last moment here. So Father, as we worship you, God, would you pour out your spirit afresh and brand new in our hearts and re-anoint us for what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do and how we need to see you in this moment. Lord, love you and adore you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.